real hard. <laughs> like a little bit of Weezer to put you in a good mood. They're actually touring this summer. They're going to be in New Hampshire and they got uh, Panic at the Disco, right? Panic at the Disco. They have a new album coming out and nice. they're going to be on the road. So hopefully we can go see them up in uh, Guilford. Welcome to another episode of Jackman Radio. I'm your host, Michael. Hey, Mike. It's Eric. How you doing? Good. And we got Leigh Harv on the point. Manning the production board. He's here. And we're coming in really close to our one year anniversary. Yeah, it's coming right up. One full year. Yeah, it's going to be the breakup at the one-year anniversary, I think, coming up yeah. soon here. I think Oswald would call it organizational restructuring, <laughs> would be the right word. Yeah, we've talked about this all along. Aaron uh, has been planning to move out uh, west, and he will be leaving us uh, in February this month, so we're going to be figuring things out and trying to move on without him. It'll be sad. We're but going to transition like Bruce did to Caitlin. Exactly. Yeah. Like the butterfly. And transitions are rocky sometimes, but we'll get through it. Yeah, they can be. I'm coming for you, Chloe. Chloe, I'm coming. So we got a big interview tonight, which Eric's going to talk about, but I wanted to touch on a couple things. We saw the movie Spotlight last week. Oh, yeah. Really, really good movie. Really sad. Really disturbing. Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, everyone was lights out in that movie. Really well written, uh, well acted. Uh, It it played like a, almost like a, like a thriller really unraveling this whole scandal down in Boston with the Catholic Church and, you know, the Archdiocese and what was his name there? Bernard, Cardinal Bernard Law. Yeah, Bernard Law. That friggin' weasel. Yeah. That guy's a weasel. You right. know, he knew he basically knew about all this child abuse that was going on. Well, they just shuffled him to other and, places. And covered it up for decades. And yeah. uh, I think he was reassigned to Italy or to the Vatican and he got some kind of ceremonial job. Anyways, it's a, it's a great movie. If, if you haven't seen it, uh, definitely check it out. Yeah, definitely worth watching. Very dark, but this stuff needs to get out there, man. And, and it's still going on. I mean, they didn't—they didn't just solve that whole problem. You know, that's like putting a little band-aid on a shotgun wound. Essentially, oh yeah. You know. Yeah, that's that's an ongoing thing, really. Yeah. But I'm glad that a lot of that. I remember when that really was coming out in 2002 and 2003. So. Uh, you know, it's an important issue. And on a lighter note, tonight's the Iowa caucus. Yeah. Out in, they're caucusing out in Iowa. And Getting their caucus on. People are, yeah, they're going to rock out with their caucus out. And people are predicting a big win for Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. But it could be Ted Cruz and Bernie Sanders. You it never know. I'm excited to see how that goes. And tomorrow we're actually going to see Donald Trump speak in Milford. And it's going to probably be thousands of people there. And Eric is going to be dressing up as the Donald. I'm going to be putting on the full outfit, the wig, 
the foundation and the makeup and we're going to show up. We're going to have a camera crew following us and it's going to be incredible. We're going to make America so great again. We're going to promote the hell out of Jackman Radio. It's a tremendous podcast with great assets and uh, very, very great listeners and it's going to be incredible. Basically what we're doing is a live pop art performance slash walking billboard advertisement. we got these really great uh, hand cards we're going to hand out. Like from like postcard size. From a photograph that our friend Jeff Cornell, a.k.a. Poopsie, took um, when we shot a Trump skit a couple, a week, week and a half, two weeks ago. That's going to be coming out very soon. So look for that as well. Yeah. So that's, that's going to be... I'm excited about that. And then tomorrow we're also going to see Jeb Bush in the morning. One final time, we're going to bid, bid adieu to Jeb. Yeah, that's that'll be probably the last time we'll ever see Jeb Bush. Probably. Yeah, he's been vanquished. And he's probably going to have Lindsey Graham with him. Oh, It'll yeah, be good to see Auntie Lindsey. Oh, it'll be great to see Andy. We'll see our buddy Andy Card. Yep. So that'll be nice. A friend of the podcast, that'll Andy. Be, yeah, that'll be really nice. We'll have a nice time with all them. Yeah. Yeah. So we are interviewing a very, very interesting person tonight. Um, this story, I kind of had heard about it when it happened a few years ago, um, but never really dug too deep into it. But we are going to be talking to a man named Charles Strange, who is the father of a man named Michael Strange, who was killed in Afghanistan in 2011. And Michael was a member of the elite uh, Navy SEAL Team 6 that was in part of the Bin Laden raid and died in a shootdown of a Chinook over in Afghanistan that was... Um, it's like 96 days later or something, right? Yeah, it was like After three the months, Bin Laden raid. Yeah, three months later. And the, um, the death, um, let's see, of the American dead in that, that happened on August 6, 2011, was the largest lo- loss of American life in a single incident in the war in Afghanistan. Of the American dead, 22 were soldiers in elite special forces units, operations units, 17 were Navy SEALs, including members of SEAL Team 6, the same unit that had killed Osama bin Laden 96 days before that. And Michael Strange was a Navy cryptologist who worked with the SEALs. They were all crammed in a low-flying Chinook helicopter when a rocket-propelled grenade flew up from below and destroyed it. So, since the uh, get-go of this, um, and... Charlie was able to look at it and get documents about this and, and research and dig into it. Obviously, this nightmarish, tragic, horrible thing, this loss of his son and all the other members of our armed forces and the SEALs um, kept getting stonewalled and just more questions and more questions were built. And um, the story is really, really incredible. So we're really looking forward to talking to Charlie. He's going to be calling in shortly. So please don't go anywhere. Excellent, excellent interview on Jack and Radio coming at you.
are back with more Jackman Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm very excited to have this gentleman calling in from Philadelphia tonight, Charlie Strange. Charlie, how are you? Absolutely. We really appreciate you taking the time. And as I mentioned before, um, before we went to break, um, Charlie's son was a member of Navy SEAL Team 6, uh, Mr. Michael Strange, and was killed um, in a shootdown of a Chinook helicopter um, in 2011, and some three months after SEAL Team 6 was involved in the raid in Pakistan on the Bin Laden compound. And there's still so many unanswered questions about his death and everybody else in the Chinook. And I kind of just want to get a little, a little bit about your background, Charlie, for people who may not be familiar with the case, kind of starting with where you're from and your family and, and a little bit about Michael's background. Sure, sure. Well, uh, my name's Charles Strange. I'm the gold star father of Michael Strange. Michael was a CTR1, which means he's a cryptologist, code breaker. Secret Squirrel, James Bond guy, assigned with SEAL Team 6 for four years. Uh, they say they just gave him the National Medal of Valor for Intelligence. Only 17 ever been given out in the history of America. Um, he was. Uh, we didn't know he was that smart. He taught himself posh <laughs> in Arabic. Uh, he could do some amazing things. Uh, he was 2% body fat. We grew up right here in Philadelphia. His high school was right where Rocky ran in front of the bar, the famous movie Rocky, and not too far from uh, the pet store where Adrian worked. Mm-hmm. And me and Michael actually ran the Rocky steps before we went in the Navy together. We used to run along the river and then up to our museum steps. Wow. So we are Philadelphia, and um, we love cheesesteaks, tasty cakes, and... Uh, you know, uh, that's what Philadelphia, you can't get no more Philadelphia than that, my friend. <laughs> the Liberty Bell. Right. Yeah. Bro- Broad Street Bullies. Yes. Yes, who took me out to dinner uh, last year, the Broad Street Bullies. Bernie Perrant, Dave Schultz, Joe oh. Watson, and his beautiful wife. No way. Dave the Hammer Schultz. Yes, yes. Wow. He's, a, he's a big guy. Yeah, I'm a big Boston Bruins fan. Uh, it's a great tape of him fighting Terry O'Reilly back in the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think Schultz. I actually seen Bobby Orr's last hockey game up there. Wow! Oh, yeah! Wow! Yeah, the, the the very storied hockey franchise like the Bruins. So basically, you know, working class, blue collar, um, down to earth kind of people. Yes, yes. I, uh, you know, I have four children. Michael was uh, my oldest. He has a brother, twenty-seven, uh, construction worker union. You know, Philadelphia reunion. Uh, daughter works in the hospital, um, nursing, and I have another daughter that's in uh, grade school. Nice. So, they're spread out a little bit. But Mike was the great big brother that everybody wanted. Everybody went to hang around Michael. Uh, when Michael passed, uh, I had like 12 or 13 different people come up to me in AVN neighborhood. People say, Michael was my best friend. You know, Mr. Strange, Michael was my best friend. So he gave everybody that feeling that uh, when you were around there, that you were his best friend. Yeah. That's the kind of person Michael was. Just a well-liked guy and respected and, and known in the community and and uh, really, you know, a down-to-earth, friendly kind of guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, he'd laugh. And, you know, he'd uh, always went for the underdog. I had a 
couple stories from some kids, and he was, you know, he wasn't a big guy, you know, uh, he was six foot, but he was one of them, like, wiry guys, he wasn't no more of a fortress nigger, and nothing like that, <laughs> but he could run, he could run from, you know, Philadelphia to Canada, and, uh, he did the, uh, CrossFit training, they have Michael Strange CrossFit training, you could look that up, uh, like I said, he was like 2% body fat, Wow. and, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he took care of himself, especially when he got assigned to SEAL Teams. Well, SEAL Team 2 and 6. and uh, Well, he always took good care of himself, but I think just having the stuff that they have in the Navy really gave him the extra push. Yeah, so I'm kind of reading here that he um, was in Hawaii at the Naval Information Operations Command, which worked with uh, the nearly 3,000 employees of the NSA there in Hawaii. And um, he deployed to Afghanistan for the first time uh, later that year, and then Iraq in 2006, where he spent nine months embedded with SEAL Team 2 doing crypto support. Yes, yes. And, yeah, uh, you know, um, it's, it, I, I take you from the beginning, you know, he graduated high school, he told me he was joining the military, I said, you're not doing the military, there's a war going on. Yeah. He turned 18, he said he joined the military, I said, good job, son, you, you got direction in your life. And I uh, went to see him graduate boot camp, they sent him down to Florida. Uh, they gave him an uh, aptitude test, and they said, if you, you know, you can uh, go anywhere you want. On, on, you know, whoever gets the score and all that, I think there was like 70 people there. He scored number one, so he went to be stationed in uh, Fort Meade, which was close to Philly, so he could come home. And uh, they sent him to Hawaii, and I remember him calling up complaining, I'm going to Hawaii, I would, they told me they're lying. I said, you're going to Hawaii, <laughs> you know what I mean? And after three days in Hawaii, he loved it, because he became a surfer and all that other stuff, and uh, that's where, yeah, with the cryptology, he became E6 in four years, which is uh, pretty amazing from what I understand, um, and the code breaking, and... Uh, Pretty, pretty neat. I spent like 15 days with him out there in Hawaii. It was, it was oh, pretty wow. interesting. That must have been nice. Yes. Right. So he would say um, he would go into battle with like a laptop and be able to pick up enemy signals and locate snipers and such. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He could pick up the, uh, the code word for the day. Yeah. Uh, some of the secret stuff, uh, secret squirrel stuff and laptop stuff, listening devices they have, and uh, he, he mastered it wow. to the point where he could do it in, you know, by the morning call and the motorcycles that were around and uh, different things and streams and, you know, their password and where they are and their location and certain things like that, yeah. So, how did you react when he told you that he was going for SEAL training and was going going to look to join up with the SEALs? Well, he actually called me, and they were picking him up at his house in Hawaii. And uh, these three dudes, three men pick him up, and uh, they go jogging up these three flights of steps about four times, up and down, up and down. They go to the beach, they do something, they go through some other things. And uh, he walks into the gym... And they got the headbanger music going. I'm wearing blue. I said, oh, you the mark. You know what I mean? And uh, we laughed. Ah, they surrounded me. And they wanted me to join the SEALs. And uh, I told them I don't want to do 30 years. Some of them said, they, you know, you can 8, 10, 12, and get out. 
I don't know, like. And uh, he, um, you know, he was doing so good there for our country. Some of the stuff that he could do. Um, it was three years in. He was 21, and they wanted him to re-sign up. And uh, it's like they say, you know, you hear the brotherhood, uh, yeah. the friendship. I wasn't military. Yeah. And I guess you live with somebody, and you're killing bad guys, and you you know see your kids growing up, and they're down the street, things like that. And you know that's your brother, you know. And uh, got I you know. I really truly believe I met his buddies in, in Hawaii and uh you know, that was that was his uh pals and he joined up that they they waved the carrot in front of him too. Let's not get it, you know, twisted here. They put it in a nice chunk or something in front of me, bought a three hundred thousand dollar house. Yeah. Hard twenty one. Hard to say no to that, right? Right, right. Yeah. He was very proud. He beat me. I bought a house at twenty two, that was his <laughs> maybe always somebody watching over his shoulder or keeping tabs. Well, 
Yeah. Um, wow. That's yeah. that's that had to be a real shocking moment to hear your your young son, you know, mentioning a will. Right. So, you know, obviously he experienced something or was involved in something that shook him up quite a bit to, to lead him to want to mention that to you when he was home. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he also, uh, he did that three times, and he also grabbed me by the bicep and said, Dad, you wouldn't believe what's going on in this country. I'm like, what? Like, what? And he wouldn't tell me. And he also stopped in the magazine. He also told her about the world. He told his uh, mom about the will. He told his buddy Kevin. He told this other guy about the will. And um, something was going on with Michael. And this was June 2011. June 6th was his birthday. And um, he calls me. He leaves. And he calls. And uh, I love you, Dad. He's on my phone right here. Uh, we're talking. And I'll see you for Thanksgiving down at Maggie's. Yeah. And, um... <laughs> Next thing, uh, you know, uh, he's over there in Afghanistan, and um, August 6, 2011 is the worst day of my life. Uh, they said he was in a Chinook helicopter with 37 other guys. Um, there's 38 guys in the helicopter, 30 were Americans, and uh, a warrior dog named Bart. John Dugandero was the dog handler, his buddy. I met him in Hawaii. Michael called him Jet Lee because he was Asian. <laughs> Gently. <laughs> you know, us Philly guys, we nickname everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh, that's what we Marty do. Marty George, Joey DeBrick, you know. Right. And, um, yeah, that was uh, August 6, 2011, the biggest loss of life in the Iraq and Afghan War. 30 guys from America. And the biggest loss of life in the history of America. 22 guys from that group. Naval Special Warfare Development Group. Right, and, and, and is that kind of when it came out that, that a number of those SEALs were involved in the Bin Laden raid? I mean, when did you get an idea that your son may have been involved in the, the Bin Laden raid? After the, the the death of your son, or did you kind of suspect before June? Or? Well, um, he came home in June, got here on a Friday, and um, he stopped Uh, he calls me about 10.30 at night. He's at the bar with his brother and a couple buddies. I go up to the bar and uh, I'm buying them drinks and I don't drink myself, but uh, I go outside for a cigarette. And he comes out, lectures me about what cigarettes do to your lungs and da 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 da. And then uh, he asks for a cigarette. So I'm like, Did you kill Big Lightning? We never been lying. He's just looking at me. And our code was when I would ask too, much, too many questions, like in PR Times was, uh, did the Phillies win? I mean, stop asking that. Right, change the subject. Right, right. Wow. Right. So, uh, Michael was very, very smart and, um, and giving. And, uh, so I, you know, I, I've heard from Rob O'Neill, the redhead kid from Montana, uh, emails, told me uh, a couple of Michael things and stuff like that, a couple other guys here and there. Don't really talk about it. Whether it was, you know, a lot of people say Bin Laden was there. He's been there. He's over in Chicago making pictures. I heard it all. You know what yeah. I mean? I really don't care about Bin Laden. I want to know what happened to my son. Right. And, of course, though, you know, I'm sure a lot of people um, would make some kind of nefarious connection or, or 
say the two events are connected in some way, the fact that that many elite um, operators in our special forces and the SEALs died in one incident and most and, and a lot of them were part of the Bin Laden raid, it definitely raised his eyebrows. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. We've got FOIA Act, Freedom of Information Act filed with everybody. With everybody, the Navy, Afghanistan, uh, when it happened, of course, I was talking about it right away. The Taliban were bragging over the internet. A half hour after they killed my son, we just killed Seal Team 6. Wow. How did they know they killed Seal Team 6? Who, right, who did they know who they were? Right, there was two helicopters. Extortion 17, please Google Extortion 17. And then there was a helicopter behind them with nobody in it. Really? Like, why would you put everybody in one helicopter? Right? It doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense. Nah. So, I'm sure just right away, you just had so many questions and so many things in your mind after you heard the tragic news about the loss of Michael. And kind of, you know, really, where did you, where did you turn to first to get help with this and, and get your questions out there and start your crusade for the truth? Well, August 6th, uh, then I think about 10 days later, or 12 days later, uh, we were in Dover where all the bodies were coming in. Yeah. And that's why I met the president. And um, Barack Hussein Obama speaks up on me, and he puts his hands on my shoulders. He said, Mr. Strange, Michael changed the way America lives. And I'm looking at him, and I grab Obama by his shoulders, and I said, I don't need to know about my son. I need to know what happened. And I started shaking the president, you know what I mean? And uh, then the CIA guys grabbed me. Yeah, Secret Service. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. The Secret Service guys grabbed me. And uh, I was crying, you know, and I was stumbling over, and the president came up and uh, wanted to give me another hug. And, uh, you know, I whispered in his ear, I said, is there going to be a congressional inquiry about this? And he whispered in my ear. And I could feel the president's lips touching my ear. He said, Mr. Strange, we're going to look into this very, 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 very deep. And that was August 2011, and I haven't heard anything yet. Nothing back from him since? No. And, of course, that's not lack of effort on your end trying to get something out of him. I've been to Washington, D.C. 30 times. Me and my wife, our lawyer is Larry Clayman with a K. Uh, he started Judicial Watch. Yep. Broke the AT and T monopoly. Um, he's the only lawyer that ever saw a president win. He sued Bill Clinton. He represented uh, eight of Bill Clinton's girlfriends. Got three of the money. And he's got a sense of humor. He subpoenaed Bill Clinton's penis. He <laughs> <laughs> was also from Philadelphia, but little Beverly Hills now. Uh. <laughs> I don't know how to say all that about Larry, but. Yeah, Clayman sounds um, like a, he sounds like a really interesting guy. He's, uh, you know, starting in the '90s, he started Judicial Watch and sued the Clinton admin, as you said, uh, 80 times, and um, kind of was part of the Obama birther thing, doing that. Um, and uh, yeah, it just sounds like though he's he's really uh, never been afraid to take on the government, and we need you know we need people like that who aren't who aren't afraid to ask questions and put themselves out there. And, and obviously it adds legitimacy when he's able to have a family member, you know, of your caliber asking the questions and you're obviously not afraid to get out there because you want to get to the bottom of it. So for pe for people, you know, who are just starting to look into this case, kind of 
what are the, the major questions that you still have that you feel were not answered during those hearings? And, um, you know, the, what are those questions? Well, it, it, there's so many questions. What happened was October 2011, we went down to uh, Dan, Dan Neck, Virginia. All the parents and we were in the auditorium. Um, you, you know, it's crazy. Like the night before, half the parents were in one hotel. he did. Strange. 
I said, no, all right, well, send me another one. He said, we can't. We burned it. We, we, we burned it. I said, you burned it? He said, yeah, we had to get rid of it. But in that binder, there was a disk. And you put the disk in the computer, and these, these little blocks pop up. And if you click it, nothing, click it, click it, click it, click it, and click it, it finally zoomed up. And you can read like two sentences, then you can't read nothing. And my wife figured out how to download it to get 1,364 pages wow. of information about the Taliban being there. And they were late. And the one part that sticks out to me the most, my friend, is General Coles asking the guy, well, what was the Tangine uh, Valley like? Was there any, you know, da-da-da-da-da going on? And the guy answers, and I think they got all the abbreviations for the people's names and everything, and the rank and all. And he says, well, sir, May 11, 2011, 100 Taliban are coming from the blank Providence to the Tangine Valley to shoot down the coalition force. They knew? Hmm. Is that a coincidence? They just knew to go to the Tangine Valley and shoot them down? 38 guys? How did they know? Where did they get that knowledge? Right. Here's the other thing. When it happened, if you look it up, August 6th, uh, on national TV all around the world, they said that, that the SEAL team was going in to rescue the Rangers. That's what was on the TV. But in the book... In the paperwork my wife downloaded, it says about nine or twelve times the Rangers were in no help. So on television, after the fifth day, they got on TV all around the world and said they were after a high-level mark. And the guy's name was Quarry Tahir. And uh, that's why they went. And uh, Quarry Tahir, and I got all the Taliban guys' names, it's in my paperwork. Moved to another village. He knew they were coming. Quarry Tahir had about all kinds of guys under the trees with night vision goggles, AK 47s, machine guns, radios, cell phones. He had guys on a rooftop. They knew. They knew who was coming. And they never put them in the helicopter, knew that helicopter was going to have trouble trying to land in that area with all these mountains around there, and it was pitch dark. There was three buildings there, and it was at lights out. So, the other question is, it was the National Guards flying. God forbid, I really said, God bless, I love National Guards. I, love, I know their parents. But CL Team 6 never flew with the National Guards. Right. How come all of a sudden? Well, you know, this is this is suggesting that there there was either someone tipped off the Taliban, or they had some kind of in with somebody on the operation and knew all these guys were going to be there. Absolutely, my friend. Right? That's what it sounds like to me. I wasn't military. I just read these these are the papers they gave us. They gave us the disc. It's right. not like I'm trying to hide something. It's not like it's not a conspiracy. It's black and white. It's papers. Here, here's the questions. You, you tell me the answers. My son died. Right. It's that easy. Right. right. Straightforward. Right. There ain't no, you know. So, it's, you know, there's all kinds of questions. Like, who put them all in there? Why would the Taliban on alert? How come this? How come they lied about the Rangers being in trouble? How come Quarita here removed? How come they talk about man patch, which are, are heat-seeking missiles? 
right? The other thing was, before they took off, there was eight Afghans, the eight Afghans got off, and eight other Afghans got on. Hmm. Even told us that they didn't know who the Afghans were. When the, when the 38 bodies were coming in, there was Afghan flags on top of, on top, in Dover, Delaware, on top of uh, some of the caskets. Wow. We're like, what are you bringing them here for? Fishy stuff. Yeah, and then they told us, well, we don't know who they are. They had to call the parents over in Afghanistan and tell them they told them they didn't know who they were. It's in the 1364 pages, too. Right. So it just it just sounds like oh, there's a lot of muddying of the waters by the military and by the Pentagon, and they want to create confusion on this and not really offer a total clear explanation. Now I know you've approached a lot of people in government. Um, you, you got to meet with high-ranking officials in the Pentagon. Obviously, there were congressional hearings. Has anybody in the government been of any help um, or assistance to you that you could say positive things about? <laughs> Silence. Silence. Yeah. They're all bought and paid. I never, I would never, ever believe that, sir. <laughs> but now, Jason Chavez from Utah, God bless him, you know what I mean? Chavez, whatever that other guy's name is. I had 24 parents learning questions. And two weeks before uh, we were going to ask the military questions, he said, everybody can ask questions except for you, Mr. Strange. Well, he didn't do it. He sent one of his cronies. Right. I said, everybody but me. And my lawyer and I screamed and went off. Of course, he said, what do you mean? Everybody but Mr. Strange. And uh, so then uh, three days later, they said, none of the parents can ask questions. Congress can ask questions. Yeah. And we went to that hearing. And it was on C-SPAN 3. And none of the parents, none of the congressmen read any questions except for the guy from Florida, Micah or Mecca. He was the only one that read it. Uh, our questions and asked the military. The military said, Gary Reed, who was Chuck Hagel's right-hand uh, man, Chuck, Gary Reed, uh, the other people weren't hired until after August 2011. They didn't have a clue. They knew right. the procedures that were supposed to be filed. Right, it sounds... So, I mean, these people, why would you send somebody that actually knows what happened? It sounds like they passed... They the, yeah, oh, sorry, I didn't mean. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt. Uh, continue. I was, I was going to say, it sounds like they really passed the buck a lot, and they, they tried to get maybe lower-ranking people to meet with you guys. And um, I did read about one encounter. You, I think it was inside the Pentagon that you had with some of the brass, and obviously you're, you, know, you, got, you got kind of heated up. Um, what, what, did they, what was their response like when you're just talking to these people face-to-face, -face, maybe with no cameras, about your real question? Well, I went in, uh, Congressman Bob Brady from Philadelphia, who knew my son and knew what he did. Um, got me a meeting in the Pentagon. So they said, I couldn't bring the lawyer. I couldn't bring all the families. Just bring my questions. So I bring, um, I guess about six copies with like 20 questions. Maybe 22 questions. There's a lot more than that. So Gary Lee's sitting there and these three other chuckleheads, four-star admirals and generals, and uh, they were really, uh, they're so pompous. The way they're not like us, man. They think they're so much better. I'm like, oh my god, these people. Uh, and and I, I never thought like that in my life, sir. So I, I would salute the guy. I carry. I would carry somebody's, you know, a uniform guy's uh, bag, man. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. I pay for the dinner, and um, 
talk to you about that i mean that that's incredible man you with your actions and your your courage and your ability to to take on the man i mean some good has come from this charlie thank you you know so you should be happy about some of that i mean um you know you had you forced the military to go on the record and testify before congress that's no easy feat um you know a loss has been added to the record um from your testimony and the NSA, NSA case, I mean, talk a little bit about the NSA case and what your grounds for suing were. Well, when we put that uh, disc in our computer, and my wife was figuring it out, I went away that weekend. I went to Vet's Journey Home, great foundation. 
Uh, I went to some men's weekend. I didn't want to go. <laughs> the guy talks me into going. It was very, very healing. Yeah. And uh, I met a guy named Dave there. But anyway, um, I come back from the vet's journey home, and um, my computer shot out. It's blue screen, and then it was coming on, and then it was blue screen, and the was like, something happened. And then I called this guy Dave, and he was, because he was talking about computers, and I said, you fix computers, you said? He's like, yeah. He's like, trying to fix it from his house, and he couldn't do it. He lives down south, so me and my wife took our computer down to him. And he puts it on his table and he opens it up and he says, Oh my God, Charlie, what they got in here, they didn't even come out with yet. And here, a guy's like one of the best computer people in the world. He's ranked like 180th or something. He's got like 280 search. And the NSA hates them. They were like so shocked. Like, uh, you know, uh, where the hell did get this guy from? It's got to be God working for us. God working through us and our sons. I really truly believe that, you know, and uh, he testified, you know, it was eight numbers.gov. It was 12 numbers, that, that little place in Langley. I think it's called the CIA, <laughs> uh, Fort Hood, NSA. So we, Larry Clayton reached out to us. It was, I was getting on my phone, 000. It was popping up and it's a text, and then 001. And that, that kept happening, too. I didn't know what that was. And here, that's our friends from the NSA. So we, uh, Larry filed a suit with that. It's going to eventually be a uh, class action lawsuit for everyone because they're collecting everybody's data. Right. And I, uh, I sat right at the front table with Larry Clayman uh, in front of Judge Leon, Obama, and the NSA bought about 14 lawyers. And the first case went, the NSA went first. And you know what they said to the judge? Right to the state. This is the government, right? Yeah. Right to the judge's face. This is Washington, D.C., Superior Court. They said, we don't collect megadata, sir, and spy on United States citizens. Wow. And the guy, his name, his, the lawyer's name was Gilligan, right? So he sits down, right? Larry Clayman stands up and he hands up in a newspaper. He says, NSA fires eight employees for spying on their spouses. Stupid yeah. people in there. Yeah, and so we want, that's when Judge Leon, if you Google Judge Leon, he said we're living in an Orwellian state. And then uh, our president, uh, that was November uh, 17th, our president, before we went to Christmas, that was November 17th, 2012, he mentioned about it, about uh, Superior Court with Judge Leon, before we went to Hawaii. And so we went again in front of Superior Court, three judges. And uh, I don't. I, what happens is you keep going in front of more judges. And uh, um, we won there too. Uh, they wanted to know what one case where uh, listening to everybody's phone and going in everybody's computer, like Joe McHugh down the street, Harry Chase. You know, construction workers, guy owns a deli. Instead of listening to maybe like Muhammad Jabi from Afghanistan or, or Pakistan that's coming here right. uh, on the visa, but they end up losing all their information anyway. But anyway, they couldn't 
find one. They couldn't say one, you know, one case where listening to our conversations going in our computers, they couldn't mention it. And you know what they said to the judges? This is classified. Oh, yeah, the classified. Right. Yeah, and probably in a condescending and, manner. And, and you know, the judges said, you're in superior court here in Washington, D.C. Nobody's got higher classification than us. Right. <laughs> and we, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> the judges the judge got pissed. You know, do you know who you're talking to? I mean, you know, that was like insulting to them. Right. I, I was like, wow. Yeah, that that reminds me of the uh, is a documentary I, I w- started watching recently uh, called Citizen Four about Edward Snowden, and you can you can see the footage of the of the you know NSA people lo- and the government lawyers basically being derogatory and condescending towards these judges, and the judges are just having none of it, you know. Yep. Yeah. Edward Snowden's lawyer was there the first time we went. He 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 uh, Larry I think reached him, but he was there in Washington for a little bit listening. I wonder what he knows, Edward Snowden. I wonder if he knows what happened to my son. Yeah, there, you, you, there's got to be more stuff out there, you know. And, and we know Snowden's sitting on more stuff, too. I mean, Glenn Greenwald has alluded to as much that he hasn't released everything that he has. Right. And I'm sure Snowden wants to have some uh, uh, insurance policies in place for his own safety and having a bargaining chip, you know, in the case that he could come back to the United States and uh, get a fair shake, which we know will never happen. But, uh, you know, as you said, maybe there's stuff in there about about this incident, you know, and, and, and more of that. But the, but the broader picture here, Charlie, is that our government is always watching us, and basically we're just, we're letting them do it, and we don't even care. I mean, oh, they, I have nothing to hide. They can look through my records, no problem. But, you know... That, that's like the goal of a fascist society is for you to seize your rights and your liberties and, and kind of just be passive about it. Yep. yep. So it's scary. I, I'd like to say one more thing. Do you know who Admiral Alexander is? Admiral Alexander. I'm not familiar with him. He was the head of the NSA. Okay. You know Admiral Alexander quit the NSA when we filed our things and started his own company. You know who's under indictment for investigation right now? Admiral Alexander. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Definitely not a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, that you'll never hear about that. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check that out, Admiral Alexander. I'm gonna definitely look into that because you know, with with this case too, and I'm sure you find this with your research. One tentacle leads to another avenue, and then that avenue leads to another. You know bit of information and you know it really is a rabbit hole when you get going on this stuff and it, it can be really dark and depressing um you know I'd, I'd like to talk about something that's a little more um uplifting is you know you had mentioned before that there are some foundations that are in memory of michael you want to talk a little bit about those sure michaelstrangefoundation.org um for me it was uh you know, I had a lot of people here, uh, you know, a lot of friends, a lot of family, um, but nobody buried a child. And uh, we had a big uh, viewing here in, in Philadelphia at the Cathedral in Center City, Philadelphia. There was, you know, probably close to 2,000 people there that day and uh, very honorable military and friends. And uh, we buried them in Arlington. And uh, afterwards, uh, nobody lost a child. 
that I knew. Like, I buried my dad, I buried my cousin, I buried close friends. That's It's not even in the same circle when you bury a child. And uh, I was really out of my mind. And Vets uh, uh, Journey Home helped me out a little bit. Like, here are some things. And uh, another cold star father called me up and lost his son um, a few years before me. To say hi and how you doing? And I said, I uh, I go to the front door and I'm supposed to go food shopping and I'm supposed to go do this and I don't open the door and I just sit here staring and crying and I'm getting angry. And he goes, and this happens and that happens. I go, yeah, yeah. And he said, I'm really bad. And I started feeling good. I'm like, good, this guy's messed up too. Wow. <laughs> I knew that sounds bad, but you know, I was hearing another man say he's going through it. And then I called another dad up. And he said he was going through it. He was doing this. And I called some of the parents who lost their kids that day. And, uh, you know, we were talking, and it felt better talking to another parent that knew, knew the pain, knew the sorrow, knew that, you know, it, it's, it's like, oh, my God. And uh, I said, no, we've got to bring these parents in. And, and uh, I had a little fundraiser, something here in Philly, and we raised, you know, like $15,000, and I bought a couple plane tickets, and I bought uh, about 30 parents in, and we went to a Malvern retreat house here in Philadelphia. And uh, we brought a grief counselor with us, and uh, got the parents to talk. I wanted to hear how you get through the day. What do you do on the holiday? What do you do for his birthday? And uh, then we did one in Wildwood, New Jersey, and uh, we brought like 40 parents there, and we had the vets from the city of Philadelphia pick up the people at the Philadelphia airport took him for a Philly cheesesteak first before we went down to Jersey. Mm. And uh, we went to the Bolero Hotel. We stayed three nights and four days there. And everybody shares their experience, strength, and hope. And then we just did one in Longmont, Colorado. And the reason we went to Longmont, there was a gold star mom there who was crying. And, and it's only been um, a little over two years since her son died. And um, she was uh, Kathy Bear. Uh, her son was Jordan Bear, Native American Indian. And she had a couple other Native American Indians that lost their sons in Iraq. And um, the Lakota Indians called me up, Charlie uh, Red Cloud. I mean, real Indians, my friend. Yeah. And uh, they came to the weekend, and they told us, that, you know, what they do with their barrel. They put a bottle of water, oats, and a white feather in that coffin, and they never say the person's name. And they... Uh, then after that, they made us uh, Indian tacos, which we were slamming. But we, you know, we get to meet the other parents. We we help each other out. Uh, we share each other's emails, phone numbers. We help, and uh, and that's what the Michael Strange Foundation does. Michael Strange Foundation does. We're five hundred one c three. If you go to our website, you'll see workshop video. We got T-shirts. We got hoodies. Uh, and we do a couple functions here and there and uh, raise some money uh, to bring these parents in. It's, it's, uh, we had Chris T. Koch at our first weekend, K-O-H, her son was Stephen Koch. And that poor lady, she came and she's from North Jersey. And um, her five-year-old daughter kept saying to, her, to, to the mom, hey, when's Stephen come out? And the mom says, he, he passed. She said, nah, mom, he's going to come home. He's going to come home. And the uh, daughter, 18 months later, she left a note. I'm going to go be with my father and took a handful of pills and killed herself. Oh. She was a graduate, beautiful, never did drugs. I mean, these stories, I call up people's houses to come, some gold stars. 
I called this the dad up. The brother called me up. No, that was his only son. He had cancer. He gave up two years later. Called another lady. No, her sister would call up. No, after her son died, she, you know, the stories don't stop, man. Yeah. And that's why it's so important. We lost close to 8,000 in Iraq and Afghanistan. Right. So everybody had a mom and dad at 16,000. Everybody had um, grandmom and a grandpa. That's another 16,000. Everybody had three or four brothers and sisters. Another 24,000. Everybody had five good friends. You know what I'm getting at? It's a couple hundred thousand people. Yeah. You know, so we need donations. We need, you know, we have PayPal. We have the Steel Team 6 shirts. Whatever you can do for us, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, you can send me an email there if you want to buy a plane ticket for one of the families or use your uh, frequent flyer miles. Um, you know, it's 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 huge. It's it, it's very helpful to me that you know that I wasn't alone and talk to some of these other parents, my friend. It, it, I can't thank you guys enough for, for having me on and, and helping us foundation. Oh, absolutely, and thank you so much for sharing your story uh, with us. And and I guess. Um, one of my last questions would be what, you know, from here, where do we go and, and, and what's the media response been and, and what are we, what are we kind of looking at coming down the pike on this? Well, with the NSA, they, <laughs> this will be the fourth case. It's called the Pelican Court. Um, that will be coming up in a few months. Larry Clayman said that's the, uh, that's the end. I, I, I'm going to send you an email with Larry Clayman's phone number. You'll get Dean at James. That's his chief of staff. I'll talk to you for a little bit on the radio, too. Okay. Um, but Larry will fill you in with everything going on with the NSA and, and the collections and the mass data. Um, the FOIA Act, uh, we've been filing for that. Um, we're, we're, we're still waiting. It's, it's, uh, we're hoping that um, we just had a sign-off from a judge for a couple of the Freedom of Information Acts. So to get the information of who made the call that night and um, how the cars I know and how come there was man pads there, heat-seeking missiles, and then how come after my son died, General David Petraeus left 10 days later. Not only him, but Graven, Mullen, it was the biggest chain of command in the history of America, August 2011, after August 6th, after all them guys died. Where's the, where's the paperwork on that? Yeah, that's some big... Those guys are too pompous just to walk out. That's big movement right there. McRaven was the head of JSOC. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was He was, uh, He was. was involved in some really dark shit over there and uh, with the drones and, and covering up the death of innocent villagers um, in Afghanistan and such. So, you know, it, it is all connected. And, um, you know... I want to thank you so much, Charlie, for taking the time with us. And, um, you know, we want to keep your son's sacrifice. Uh, you know, we don't want it to ever be forgotten what happened to your son and the other people in that incident and everybody else who has died. And as you mentioned, um, the families and their siblings and then our veterans who come home who deal with PTSD and suicide. And ah. it's, it's, all, it's all connected and it's really, really overwhelming, um, the scope of it. So we really. What you what the work you're doing and the work the work that we're trying to do here in promoting um, this story is to really just try and get some changes made and and really you know do a better job of exposing these crimes 
and exposing that it's just people who are in our government. They're not special. They're not any better than you or I. They're definitely not smarter than us. And, you know, if we want to have a great country, we, can, we need to elect great leaders and we need to put people in there who are, who are real, you know, have the interests of the people ahead of profit. So, right. you know. Like can I ask you that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if I could pick the president personally, I, I would love to see Jesse Ventura be president for a term. Um, but I don't, I don't think he's going to run. So I, I'm actually planning on voting for Rand Paul in the New Hampshire primary next week. Okay. And, and kind of in my opinion, Rand Paul is the only one who's really talking about the NSA spying. Um, he's the only one talking about our drone program. Um, you know, who do, do you like any of them? What are your thoughts? Oh yeah, I, I gotta. I have a definitely have a soft spot spot in my heart for Trump. I mean, that might be great if you could get a meeting with him or something. I, I, I maybe. Well, he... I have about. I have people in Idaho. I have people in Washington State, Florida, uh, a few other people in Philadelphia here that have reached out in the last two weeks to try to get a meeting with Donald Trump Force uh, for extortion seventeen parents. I mean, you know the Democrats are going to bring up Bin Laden, and uh, that's when they got killed. Well, if you're going to bring that up, how about 93 days later? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, absolutely. You know, it's better for that than that. It's, 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 it's an answer for this. I'm telling you, you know why Donald Trump went through the roof in the polls? Why is that? They asked him, what do you think about waterboarding? And he said, the least you'll have to worry about with me is waterboarding. And they said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Dude, he said, oh, my God. Harvey, I don't believe he said that. Yeah. And Donald Trump said, they cut our guy's heads off. They cut people's heads off. They put a guy on fire inside a... A cage. A, a cage. Yeah. They drowned people. Right. You, now, I just told you, 8,000 people lost their kids in Iraq and Afghanistan, so that's 16,000, all of a sudden a couple hundred thousand, and everybody's got war. Then Vietnam guys got them in there. No wonder why he went through the roof. Yeah. yeah the military's the smallest ever been, but so many people did serve the military. You know what I mean? And, right. Uh, so it's got to be, you know, uh, I, 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 just, I just look at some of these news stations, which are they're all bought and paid for, yeah. 2020 called me uh, two times to do an interview. Third time they said, we're not allowed. Hmm. Yeah. Why not? We're not allowed. Yeah. Sorry, Well, they're, you know, they're owned by the major uh, defense, uh, like General Electric owns NBC. And yeah. they don't want people speaking out about this stuff and, and telling, you know, talking about the real, the real dark stuff that you don't hear a lot about. So well, we're um, we're actually we're going to a Donald Trump rally tomorrow. Actually, he's going to be up here in New Hampshire. We're going to try and try and see him. So if, my number, step my number. <laughs> if, 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 I'll tell you right now. If I see him, Charlie, I'm going to tell him about this, and I'm going to give him your cell phone number. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very I much. We, we 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 appreciate all your work, and you know, very very sorry about Michael, and we just we hope that. Um, you know, we can get this out to more people and more people will ask the questions and they'll wonder about it and they'll be more concerned about what's going on with our country. And, you know, we don't, we want to avoid this. We don't want this happening again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, we have 4,000 Syrian refugees in Northeast Philadelphia at a Navy depot. 
Really? 4,000. I'm sleeping in tents inside, yeah. Jeez, I didn't yeah, know that. Right in the heart of Philadelphia here. They, they flew them in. And then even, even they, I was like, ah, that's just propaganda on the radio. That's bullshit, right? And uh, two vets went over to the Navy people to get their stuff over there. I mean, there's a couple hundred people that work there to do files and all that stuff. And they go, no, all the tents are here. Them people, the Syrian refugees are there. So I was like, There's this, there's going to be fallout and problems with that, and and that that's definitely a big issue in this election cycle. So, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Charlie, and you you take good care of yourself, and please keep in touch, and um, you know, keep on fighting, man. You're a real inspiration. Thank you, thank you, guys. I can't thank God bless America, Michael Strange Foundation dot org. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Charlie. Have a good night. Take care, man. All right, so that was Charlie Strange, the father of Michael Strange, a member of Navy SEALs Team 6, died in the 2011 Chinook shootdown in Afghanistan. Still so many unanswered questions in his um, courageous battle for, uh, you know, truth and accountability, accountability. basic accountability. Just accountability. Yeah. Just the way the, the brass treated him and other family members and... You just you hear about that a lot, you know how condescending and and kind of cold yeah. and callous they can be. Right. So you know definitely do some homework on this, guys. You know Google um, extortion seventeen. You know check this stuff out. You know Charlie's done hours and hours. He's done his homework. He's devoted his life he's to this. Devoted in the last his life five years. to it. And uh, you know we owe it to his son and we owe it to everybody to be aware of this stuff and be conscious of it and, and ask the hard questions. So thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of Jackman Radio. We appreciate you listening and have a great night.